0: All right, we back. Week one, I was going to say in the books. I guess we're not technically in the books. We got pretty massive matchup of the Jets and the Bills for tonight. So we still got to see about that one, uh, which will truly confirm or disconfirm all of our um, offseason NFL takes. Um, I put out a little bit of a joke Tweet, or Zet? Is that, is, that, is that what we're calling him now, Elon? Help me out here, buddy. Um, about the fact that for my off-season takes, you know, 60% of the time, I'm right every time. Um, a takeoff on the uh, Sex Panther from the glorious uh, Anchorman movie. Um, but that's kind of what we're aiming for here, right? That's what makes it so difficult when we have the back-padding of everyone who's done well on any sort of prediction we have all the confirmation bias we have everything else here that it's really really difficult to sort out just looking at results anecdotally who's making good predictions and who's making bad predictions um and saying hey i got these two predictions right last year so trust me on my next 50 predictions well you know we're talking about a pretty pretty limited sample in a lot of these things here. So what we're trying to do here is, you know, if we could be right with sixty percent of our takes, that's not bad. No, not bad at all. Um And so far this week, I mean, we got some good. We got some bad from what was going on in the offseason. We had the the glorious implosion of Washington well, is glorious. I don't want to root for anyone's demise. But uh, Kadarius Tony going down in flames kind of helped some of my takes <laughs> over the years there. But then there's some other ones, uh, like maybe Jordan Love bawling out that didn't. Didn't really help uh, my assumption that, you know, we could probably expect it to not be that that good um, just because of the baseline of what we expect from late first round quarterbacks. But maybe he is. Um, wasn't, the, wasn't the toughest matchup, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that even more. Now, if you want to get even more details about everything I'm talking about here, wouldn't be doing my job if I'm not shilling. So um, I got to be shilling the the sub stack here. Unexpected points dot substack.com please go on there i got my advanced reviews which are now broken up by the early window and then the late window and sunday night football i think it'll make it a little bit easier for me than to have to write up and you know paste in all of the different uh, plots and and uh, tables for every game so i guess if we're talking about what 14 games that went on Yesterday, rather than have to do all that, break that up a little bit. And plus the data that's going on over with our friends at NFL Scraper, NFL Reader. um, There's some issues there, but I've been correcting them as I'm as I'm going through. And those will be continued to be corrected systematically as we get on with the rest of the season. But anyway, go on the Substack, sign up, get all that goodness uh, for you. And also, I'll just say here that, you know, if you can't afford it, you know, your student financial difficulties, Whatever, you know, I, I don't need an excuse. I don't need a reason why. You know, just go ahead, uh, shoot me a note. If you're already on the free mailing list there, just go ahead and reply to something. Shoot me a note, ask uh, to be added for a comp subscription. I'll toss you on there for six months, which I think will pretty much take you through the NFL season if you want. Just go ahead and do that. Or DM me. I think I'm still getting, um, I think I still have my DMs open, even though I was getting a bunch of trash. Uh, a bunch of um, real, real uh, hot chicks were into me. <laughs> totally real, totally real hot chicks were, were into my uh, NFL analytics uh, announcements on on Twitter and were sending me DMs. So uh, I think I still have those open. So you can also send me something there. But the easiest way though, is if you're signed up for the free newsletter on, on unexpected points, if you just reply to the emails that you get, when you get the newsletter, write back to me, say, hey, Hook me up on this email address that I'm that I'm sending for a free six month uh, comp sub, and I will do that. And then if you know, six months from now you still having some problems, you want to get that off season content, um, I'll I'll roll it forward for another six months. No problem, no problem. I just appreciate everyone, uh, you know, supporting it if you can. And then uh, you know, if you can't and you just want to get the content, I'll I'll take that too. All right, let's get into the week. I'm not sure I'm going to go by on a week-by-week basis here. If you want to get the adjusted scores, all the details, it's, a, it's on the Google Subscriber Sheet here for paid subscribers. It's part of all the posts here. But I want to start when we're talking about this week by saying you were not um, – your perception's not off if you thought that offense stunk, and especially in that early window <sighs> – man, things were rough, rough in that early window. Maybe you're noticing on your fantasy football teams that things are pretty rough. They got a little bit better in uh, the late games, the five late games we had as far as offense is concerned. Uh, Not so great in the Sunday night football game for the Giants there. But I went ahead and calculated out the offensive EPA per play numbers and then the success rate numbers. And for me, success rate is just you're a successful play if you're... EPA on that play was greater than zero and then unsuccessful if it's less than zero. So I went ahead and calculated all those out for every week uh, of the regular season in the NFL since 2001. So this week here, for offensive EPA, we're talking about a first percentile type of outcome for any week in the season. And remember, this is like good weather. This is week one. This is not you know, late December, where you think some things may be a little bit worse. So it was right near the bottom. If you take any week that we've had so far, um, again, of 377 weeks that I have here, going back to 2001, this is the sixth worst offensive EPA per play at negative .09. Uh, The worst, for anyone who's interested, is 2006 week five. A little bit over uh, 0.1, negative uh, 0.1 EPA per play in that week. So we're only talking about five other weeks since 2001 that have been worse so far. I mean, maybe the Bills and the Jets will just, you know, destroy things uh, going forward. But we'll see. In all these weeks that I'm talking about, were 2010 and earlier. So, of course, you know, offense has been getting more efficient over time. So this is all 2010 and earlier. So nothing since 2010 has been as bad any week, of any NFL week, any season offensively as we saw this week. Uh, if we look from a success rate standpoint. It's a little bit better. And that makes sense because where are we at here from success rate? Uh, if we take the worst success rates ever. We are at number 17. So about eighth percentile, and you know offenses generally in the NFL are doing shorter play, shorter passes, just over time. So success rates that kind of get elevated over time, and especially it's happening now with these cover two defenses. Everything else, we thought maybe they had them figured out, or at least guys like Mahomes and others, and Joe Burrow had these cover two defenses figured out in the second half of last season, but nope, did not happen. The DCs, um, DCs have been been in the lab. D.C.'s have been in the lab uh, figuring out how to shut down these offenses, and it worked extremely well so far. Um, and as far as pass or run, it's about it's about the same. I mean, the pass EPA, if you look at them uh, over all these different weeks, um, it's a little bit better as far as that's concerned, actually, for the, the pass EPA. It's in the bottom 10th percentile for this year. And then the run is about the fifth percentile. But you combine those together and you go even lower uh, over time. So that's kind of the overarching thing here. Offenses are losing. I'll let uh, the film bros get in there and figure out exactly why that is happening. If you guys have any comments, oh, I should probably just mention this now. If you have any comments, you're watching the live stream, go ahead. Shoot me a Q&A or anything else you want there um, that I can answer. If you have any theories on what's going on with NFL offenses, hey, l- let me know what you think about, about that one too. All right, let's get into the games. As I mentioned, um, we got the early window. I'm gonna I'm gonna plop through here, uh, let you know specifically. I'm gonna focus on some games that have a high differential between what the adjusted score is telling us and what the actual score is telling us. Now, let me go over the adjusted scores again for fans and haters alike. So, the adjusted scores focus more heavily on success rate versus. EPA per play. Uh, in other words, downweighting some of the outlier plays, teams who were consistently successful, that's generally a stickier sort of stat over time than the actual EPA. Now, the the, the components that go into that, the biggest things are getting adjusted is number one turnovers. So there's a big advantage in one way or another. An uh, EPA per play for turnovers, that's going to have a huge difference, especially things like pick sixes and, and whatnot are going to have a huge difference. You're going to be down weighted in here, Uh late down success. So being able to convert those third and fourth downs, because those are hugely impactful when it comes to the results of a game. I mean, the, the Packers, for instance, they convert a fourth down and get a 35 yard touchdown to um aaron jones i mean that's just a massive massive gain versus a play where they you know they come away with no points about half of the time uh in that type of play and then the last thing i look at are uh special teams and penalty advantage the special teams i'll tell you is a little bit off now the numbers are a bit off for nfl fasters numbers so it's not i'm kind of missing some of the special team element there wasn't a huge special teams plays there were some missed field goals obviously it was the cowboys um, ha- had, a, had a big uh, run back of a blocked field goal last night. So it's more on the penalty side that I'm looking at these different games. But again, let's focus on games that have a big difference that, you know, our perceptions might be a bit off from what actually happened in there. Okay, Commanders and Cardinals, Yeah, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Sam Howell, one of the many rookies, maybe I'll just say negative uh, 20. Almost EPA when it came to interceptions, sacks, fumbles, all this sort of stuff. So, yikes. Uh, six sacks for him. He was a sack taker in college, too. So, you know, Howell's one of the many things where if I was going to, you know, stake a claim on what was going to happen this season, I was going to say these quarterbacks that we haven't seen anything from, especially mid-round to late-round quarterbacks, are probably not good. So, we'll put that in the category of maybe we were, we're getting a little evidence of being right on Sam Howell since, you know, he's at home. He's facing Arizona Cardinals defense, which should be awful. Uh, But congratulations on the Cardinals for getting week one out of the way in their mission to tank here. You were able to do that successfully. Just awful numbers from from Josh Dobbs, who I kind of feel bad for. You know, he just like showed up a couple of days ago, Um, but uh, pretty much bottom fifth percentile type of efficiency for him this year. Um. Okay, Panthers and Falcons. This is the first one where there's a pretty big difference. It's almost as close to even in the adjusted score versus the 14-point differential. And the big differences are, well, they had basically equivalent success rates, the two different teams in this game. I mean, both bad at 38%, but basically equivalent success rates. The big differences, or the real big difference is the turnover advantage when it came to the Falcons. I mean, the Falcons did... We're just kind of bad offensively. They're okay running. They had about a 60th percentile efficiency running the ball, but they were bad um, passing the ball. But they just didn't pass it that often, and they didn't have a ton of mistakes. I mean, Ritter took some sacks. He took four sacks, but no turnovers, which really helped. Bryce Young, on the other hand, uh, two different interceptions, took some sacks, and wasn't particularly efficient throwing the ball. So a little bit of a rough start for For Bryce Young, I think he needs to have a little bit more upside for what they're doing in the passing game to make up for some mistakes that he'll end up having. But, you know, Ritter, while getting the win here, it really wasn't even a functional passing game. I mean, maybe the Falcons can get away with it. You know, Arthur Smith probably loves this. You know, they passed at about a 13% rates below expectation even though they were winning so they were way way under expectation even more so than they were last year uh Ritter only had 24 total plays that he was a part of I'm not sure if there's any rushes in there but that might only be 24 dropbacks so just you know not good uh his completion percentage over expected was actually pretty good but just didn't generate any sort of value um 3.5 yards his a dot in this game again it was not a functional passing game there's a couple of catches in there for um Kyle Pitts, but, you know, big goose egg for Drake London on this one. And all the people over the offseason, I was getting a little tilted by everyone trying to point out Marcus Mariota has gone. You know, now how could Pitts and London have done well with Marcus Mariota? I mean, wh- why do we think Desmond Ritter's is going to be any better? He didn't show anything last year um, as far as his ability to actually generate anything. The Falcons, you know, just refused to want to use their their weapons, although they did use. um Bijan in the passing game, and we all saw that touchdown that he they ended up scoring. Although they use Algier on the goal line, which is probably frustrating for uh, fantasy football managers for uh, Bijan Robinson. But you know, Ritter barely functional, barely functional in this one. So that's another one, along with how is is probably I'm, I'm putting in my category of betting against these inexperienced quarterbacks this year. Um, Cleveland, Cincinnati, this one was actually fairly aligned with. The real score, I mean, the adjusted score wasn't quite as big. It wasn't a 21-point difference. It's only a 14-point difference here. But the Bengals were just so, so bad. Their success rate at 21.4% offensively was actually so bad I had to adjust my scaling and the colors on that because it set a new low for success rate. I don't think we had a number that bad all of last season. I guess it was misty or rainy. It's weird that this, you know, this time in September would have been such difficult conditions in Cleveland. And I think this is part of the Deshaun Watson story. He wasn't as bad as Burrow, but he hasn't been good. And the conditions in Cleveland when he played last year at the end of the season and and then in his first game just really, really bringing down results. Uh, But Burrow was by either the worst or the second worst quarterback. Of the week when it came to EPA per play, losing about half a point every single time he was involved in a play. His completion percentage versus expectation was about 20% lower than you would have thought. 7.1 yard A dot, so not throwing the ball down the field very much. Just a really, really, really ugly game. And Watson was okay. He was a little bit over, he was a little bit positive with EPA per play, but that really all came from, um, Positives on scrambles and design runs, including a 13 yard touchdown run that he had straight up passing the ball. Not so great from Watson again. So, you know, I don't know where we want to sit out on the on, uh, sit on the freak out monitor for Watson so far. Um, he's someone I expected to bounce back a little bit this year. Didn't really happen in week one in tough conditions, but the defense was just crushing uh providing so much pressure. I don't have the advanced stance from PFF yet, but I'll include some of that in my analysis later on this week. Uh, maybe I'll make note of the Bengals fourth down decisioning. Yeah, they couldn't do anything offensively, so, you know, passing up all seven opportunities that they had according to the numbers to gain at least 1% win probability by going for it. They 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 passed them all up. Uh eh. They went for it later, actually, when they didn't have when it was like desperation time and they didn't even have an advantage. But, you know, maybe I'll cut them some slack on that. But they did put from the 38 yard line (laughs) from the from the uh, from the Browns, 38 yard line, which I think netted them a cool 18 yards. Come on, man. You you can't be doing that, Zach. Um, Not that it really mattered in this game. Maybe this is the kind of game you got to flush it and just move on. Eight targets for T. Higgins. Zero catches uh Baltimore Houston eh ugly ugly what can i say um a little bit closer on the adjusted score than the actual score because both teams were just bad like the ravens had a 38% success rate the texans at 32 so they were much worse um but they were better converting on third and fourth down and the Texans, you know, they converted one of four fourth downs that they had. They lost about 10 expected points on those. So the game would have been a little bit closer if they could have converted another one of those Uh, going forward. And I'm going to try to have to figure out how I'm going to put this into my, my power rankings. The Ravens are going to be a little bit concerned. Injury wise, Uh, JK Dobbins sounds like he's done torn Achilles. Uh, We'll get updates on Ronnie Stanley, Tyler Linderbaum, and Marcus Williams, their very expensive free agent signing from last offseason at safety, all left the game at some point. Uh, Ravens, the most interesting thing for me, Lamar Jackson, he had two designed runs in this game. That's it. So they're trying to make this into a like legitimate passing offense. Now, he has some scrambles, and he generated some, some value there on scrambles, but only two designed runs. I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, I get it. He wants to be a passer. He doesn't want to get injured. They want to protect him. But when you're not playing the Texans, maybe, maybe got to use the most dynamic runner in the NFL as a runner. And not just as a passer. I know Zay Flowers looked pretty good. I know you got OBJ there. I know you got, you know, healthy guys outside of Mark Andrews who wasn't there. Maybe that's like this, the, the key here for why. Watson wasn't very good passing the ball. Um, but I don't know. Got to run them. Got to run them here. Uh, big mistakes, though, for, for Jackson. is really what ended up uh, holding them down. You know, two different fumbles, lost one interception for sacks. I don't know. Is the Houston Texans? Are they, are, they, are they decent? They might be. I mean, if C.J. Stroud can get things turned around, the offense can get things turned around a little bit, you know, m- maybe they can make some noise. It's a really, really bad division. So... Uh, they, they need to pull things together. Although I wasn't as high on Stroud as I was on young and Richardson coming out of college. Speaking of Richardson, let's turn to the Colts Jaguars here. Um, everything pretty much aligns between real score and adjusted score. The Jags had a 50% success rate. The Colts were only at 35%. Now Richardson did end up having slightly positive EPA per play in this game but it was, you know, clunky at best. Uh, Lawrence had pretty negative EPA per play, but he was really victim of a number one, a pass that went off of Tank Bigsby's hands. It was behind Bigsby, but it went off of his hands and then was intercepted. And then there was also a play where he was hit in his throwing motion. The ball flew forward. No one on the Jags seemed to pay attention to what was happening. And then they ended up um, punching it out Uh, The Colts ended up punching it out and running it in for for a touchdown. So, you know, Lawrence, had I I think, had a pretty good game. When I do my comparison of EPA per play and grading, he'll probably look much, 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 much better by grading than he did by EPA per play. Um, Colts offense, maybe they need Jonathan Taylor. After poo-pooing them them needing Jonathan Taylor all offseason, 1.6 yards per carry for their running backs there. First percentile rushing efficiency for them. Not... Good at all for the Colts. Uh, props to the Jags for a couple of fourth down decisions. They went for it both times that they had a, a good. Uh, they had huge advantages to do so. Only one for three, though, on their fourth down. So they didn't gain a bunch of value. But, you know, props for him to for taking advantage of that. Calvin Ridley. And when we contrast like the Calvin Ridley trade versus someone like the Kadarius Tony trade. Man, this Calvin Ridley trade is looking good. Uh, I think he could get pumped up to what, like a second rounder or something like that, if he ends up playing extremely well, if they make the playoffs, all that sort of stuff. But uh, 11 targets, 8 catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown for Ridley in this game. Um, Good good for the Jags, just to log this. Okay, performance from Richardson. He looked a lot better than he did in the preseason. Um, 5.5% completion percentage versus expectation, but, you know, that's fine. 5.8 5.8 ADOT, so a little bit of a lower passing game. But that was a good good number, a good game for him generally. Um, but again, best performance from the rookies amongst some not-so-great performances. Uh, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, I don't know. Can we just skip this? Uh, well, this actually, it's a little bit closer, the adjusted score versus the 23-point differential on there. Um, third and fourth down, there was a lot of problems here. For the Steelers, they just couldn't, you know, they couldn't convert. And that really hurt them uh, in this game. And the preseason magic for Kenny Pickett. Well, you know, in my research, I found that how second year quarterbacks do in the preseason doesn't have a doesn't really have any correlation to how well they play. So maybe we should have been fading that for Pickett a little bit the entire time. Brock Purdy. Um, only 34 plays, so he wasn't involved a lot. Got a huge run from Christian McCaffrey, but, uh, about 0. 0.27 EPA per play. One of the best numbers of the week. And that includes a negative six expected points on a strip sack. So if that didn't happen, that would have boosted him up quite a, quite a bit higher on the week. Um, San Francisco is a little skeptical, although my numbers were not skeptical of San Francisco, but just. Subjectively, I was a little skeptical that they could keep things going with Brock Purdy, but, um, you know, maybe, and as we'll see with Jimmy Garoppolo's success this week, maybe Shanahan, he's not just sprinkling magic dust on every single quarterback out there. Maybe Brock Purdy is actually good, and Trey Lance stinks, and Matt Ryan's good, and Jimmy Garoppolo's good, and, um, Who did he have before that? And Brian Hoyer stinks. And that's why he had different results. He had different results with different quarterbacks. And the coaches can only do so much uh, with their quarterbacks. Minnesota, Tampa Bay. Uh, Congratulations, Vikings. You are the adjusted score winner of this game, despite losing this, uh, finally losing one score games after being, I think it was undefeated in one score games last year. Many times last year, I had them as being the, worst team fundamentally by the adjusted score when they did win the game the reverse happens here i mean it was pretty close it's just the vikings really got killed on on the turnovers and that's what ended up throwing them way way down here uh two fumbles lost and an interception it kind of offset the fact that there was 350 uh, yards passing and a couple of touchdowns for kirk cousins he still ended up with positive epa on the on the day but only barely so. He should have had much much more when you consider he just generated a ton of EPA passing the ball. Uh those turnovers were absolute killers for them. Uh the Bucks, I don't have a lot to say here. They basically did nothing for a quarter and a half. Uh, Mike Evans had a good touchdown, Baker Mayfield limited mistakes in this game, only took one sack and had zero turnovers and that's what enabled them to, you know, scratch out a victory here even though they were probably the worst team in this one here although i was high on the bucks and low on the vikings relative coming into the season so I'll, I'll, i'll take the confirmation on that uh new orleans tennessee not a lot to say on this one really bad success rate for the titans um they ran the ball fairly well just really really bad passing the ball um fourth down decision by mike vrabel maybe i'll highlight that it was 4th and six, 11 yards from the opponent's end zone with 2 minutes and 20 seconds to go. Not the biggest win probability loss. 3.1% they would have gained by going for it uh, for that decision. So not a huge, huge number, but it's one of those ones where it's so late in the game that you just open up the fact that you'll never get the ball back. And again, we're talking about possessions here versus um points sometimes when you're in a close game you want to maximize your number of possessions by giving up that possession and kicking the field goal rather than getting the touchdown in that circumstance you are opening up all these scenarios where you're only going to have that you know that was it you're not going to get zero possessions the rest of the game and that's what ended up really happening to this one uh I think I want to highlight Derek Carr because he played pretty well in this game not that Tennessee has a great defense or anything like that but 0.2 EPA per play, uh, 10% over expectation is completion percentage. So he played well. It's just they, they couldn't run the ball at all for, for the Saints, and I think that was a problem. half yard A-dot for Carr. Um, it's one of those ones where I think it was close. He had a really ugly-looking interception that a lot of people probably saw if they were watching red zone. So Carr's a guy who, who played a little bit better than you think, and, you know, I'm, I'm very high on the Saints this year. So they didn't look great on this one, but we'll take – We'll take the W for the um, to end out the early window there. Okay, let's get to the late window. Discuss some of these here again. Q and A. If you have any questions, go ahead and fire them in there. I'll get to them after going through the rest of the late window here. Uh, we'll start Chicago Green Bay. So 18 point actual differential, 38 to 20, seven point adjusted score. So I don't know. It's probably not much of a consolation for the Bears here since it was ugly, ugly, ugly. But It was a little bit closer than you might think. Um, It was really the third and fourth downs. Again, massive number, about 30 EPA difference when it came to how much you're gaining or losing on those third and fourth downs. Jordan Love got the 35-yard touchdown to Aaron Jones on fourth and three. They also converted a third and 13, a third and 10, two third and eights, and a third and six. So this is something to keep in mind when we're looking at these Jordan Love efficiency numbers. Maybe he's just you know, out of his mind on third downs generally and fourth downs generally. But, you know, we might not expect that always going forward. Uh, Justin Fields. Now, this is the difference when it comes to on these late downs and what happens on downs where you know he has to pass the ball a lot of the times on this one. Pick six on third and 11, obviously hugely, hugely negative. they also failed to convert a fourth and one. Um, and then Fields was sacked twice on third down with less than five yards to go. So all those different plays rolled together, highly, highly inefficient on third and fourth down for the Packers when, I mean, for the Bears when they needed to move forward uh, on those plays. Um, let me see here. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Love, you can't really argue too much with the performance here. Um, only 31 plays, so a little bit of a low sample for him. Um Little bit, it's completion percentage under expected, about five percent. But you know, again, I'm nitpicking here. Uh, maybe the competition, the Bears, wasn't the greatest competition here, so that's part of it. But um, you know, we'll, we'll put that in the box of successful performance for Jordan Love, and we'll wait and see. Um, but it shouldn't be surprised that he was better than the other inexperienced quarterbacks we hadn't seen because he was a first round draft pick. He was not a third round pick like Ritter. He was not a fifth round pick like Howell. Um, who is the, who is the other inexperienced guy that I was talking about last time? God, I gotta look it up. This is pausing. I wish I had a uh, hold music on here while I look this up. Who was the other guy that I was gonna mention? Um, Pickett, maybe? Eh. Well, Pickett, whatever. Late first round pick too, so he should have been a little bit a little bit better than uh, he was. Okay, let's look at. Oh, wait, one other thing here when it comes to to fields. I mean, are they going to throw the ball down the field? Volume was okay. So I think number one, we'll say, hey, we got at least some signal and some positive here with the volume. Now, they were down a lot, so they kind of had to pass the ball. So maybe we shouldn't give fields too much credit here. But still, 38 pass attempts um, or 37 pass attempts. Nine more than he threw in any game last season. And they were losing a lot of games last season. So it wasn't like he was playing from ahead and that makes a difference. So, hey, at least they're willing to let him throw the ball. But 8% completion percentage under expected. 3.1 yard dot. So big time training wheels. You got the training wheels on. You got, you know, DJ Moore there now. Um You invested in you invested in that sort of weapon. Your ADOT. I mean, DJ Moore is not really a downfield. He's more of a yak sort of guy. But still, you you gotta push the ball a little bit more down the field. You cannot have training wheels on the passing game in your third NFL season. So I'm a little bit encouraged by the fact that he's at least passing, at least trying to pass the ball. But we we gotta do more. We we gotta have give yourself at least a chance for some more upside uh, for Justin Fields. Fields is another guy I was skeptical of. So maybe I'll. I'll uh, self-congratulate on that slightly. Okay, Seahawks-Rams. I mean, uh, Stafford's a story here. Again, I'm waiting for some of the advanced stats here. Actually, let me, I should check to make sure they're not out at PFF right now because I think they got basically like no pressure. Nope, still not out yet. Um, no pressure on Stafford in this game. And, you know, Stafford's issue has been like the offensive line's not there. You pressure him. He can has a tendency to crumble a little bit there. But that wasn't the case. You know, the Rams ran the ball pretty well, which they didn't do at all last year. Killed killed it passing the ball. Drop back EPA per play, 95th percentile. Um, just destroyed the Seahawks' defense on that one. Wasn't a whole lot of fluky stuff, I would say, in this one. Uh, adjusted scores a little bit closer because the Seahawks are just really, really bad on third down. And I don't think that's something that's consistent. Uh, you know, two for nine on late downs, whereas the Rams 12 for 18 on third and fourth down, including a fourth down conversion. So that's probably a little bit unsustainable to, you know, grind out and continue to convert on that high of a basis as the Rams did. But still, um, a lot of the power rankings, including my own, that have the Rams in the bottom three or four or five teams, you know, going to need some adjustments going forward if Stafford's able to return to form like this. Um, and they can keep him blocked up front. I don't know how much of this and we'll find out in the coming weeks is the Seattle defense being able to pressure um, and being able to not being able to cover without Cooper Cup out there. I and mean, we were talking about, uh, um, you know, God, what's this? What's the lightweight guys <laughs> hey, who's running out there who was running wide open? Why can I remember his name? Tutu Atwell. Running wide open down the field at times, uh, probably need to, to to sort that out. I mean, Stafford had a 10, 10 yard a dot, so he was he was throwing the ball down the field. Zero interceptions, zero sacks, zero fumbles. That's always a huge thing for Stafford and a big problem for him. Uh, Gino Gino was okay, you know, slightly negative EPA per play, slightly negative CPOE, where he was one of the top top guys for in that category last year. Four point nine yard a dot, so that's not so not so hot uh, defensively. And but not a lot of mistakes. That was kind of the thing that was really holding Geno down last year. I mean, he took some sacks, had negative two uh, expected points on sacks, but that's not much. That's not that bad. Um, it was more just the fundamentals of not being able to find guys open down the field uh, for the Seahawks. So I was a skeptic of the Seahawks coming into the season. And so far, you know, I'll put that also in the category of being proven right a little bit there. Okay. Denver, Las Vegas. I got to just talk, Jimmy. You know, I'm one of the world's biggest Jimmy truthers out there. So almost half a point EPA per play, which will put him in the top three or four guys uh, this year. You know, that's well above MVP type of numbers. If it continued over the course of the season, which it won't, but uh, pretty good. I mean, I don't know about the Broncos defense. We'll see how you never know if they're going to fall off a cliff, but they were okay last year. And in Denver, um, you know, people will see the interception in the end zone that he had, which was on third down. So that, That makes it not quite as costly as you might think and say, oh, that's Jimmy doing Jimmy. But what they're not seeing as much is the dude just converts third downs. And this was always one of the things that I would dispute. One of the biggest pieces of evidence that I had to dispute this idea that, you know, he was just a creation of the Shanahan system and the and the weapons that they had there. I mean well the weapons less so than the Shanahan system and the running game and all that sort of stuff is like if it's all about the running game and it's all about play action it's all about you know his ability to work off of that then why is he why was he always so outstanding on third down? like converting third downs. Um just the way he plays by quick reads, accurate throws, quick release, hitting guys on those slants. That's not really like a system thing. That's just him going out there and converting third downs, and that's kind of what he did uh, in this one. I mean, there were, there were six for 12 on third and fourth down, but some of these were a little bit longer ones, which really helped them continue to move the chains there, and they couldn't do anything uh, running the ball. They are pretty bad. It was like a bottom 10th percentile type of performance running the ball. For the Raiders, so it was really Jimmy that that was moving that offense. And I know you look up and you say, "Well, they only had 17 points. How great could it have been?" Well, again, they they couldn't run the ball, so that was a big, big part of the problem. Jimmy was doing was doing his thing uh, when it came to passing. Um, and he's also done pretty well when they didn't have weapons, even back in 2017 for the 49ers. Uh, his limited time with the Patriots, he's always been pretty good. So we'll see if uh, Truthers come around a little bit on, uh, or or the haters come around a little bit on Garoppolo, but Truthers are taking this as a victory. Uh, Russell Wilson, I don't think he's fixed, but he did have positive EPA per play. They had a fairly decent success rate passing the ball, but um, four yard A dot. And I think it was 4.6 net yards per pass attempt. Very, very high. completion percentage over expected. I think it was the top one for Russell Wilson, 15% over expectation didn't take sacks. So we didn't have that problem. So they were grinding the way down the field, but just low, low upside passing game. And you're going to need, maybe that's part of the like system when it comes to Sean Payton, similar to being with the saints, but we'll see how that continues going forward. But big victory for the Raiders here who, you know, just weren't as successful offensively generally because they had a lot of problems running the ball and they ran the ball. A decent amount in this game. Okay, let's get to the highlight game, I would say, of the week. And that is Chargers-Dolphins. Chargers-Dolphins. What a performance for Tua and Tyreek Hill. We can't forget Tyreek Hill here. They passed at about 11% over expectations. They're leaning into the pass. They couldn't run the ball. uh, About a negative half a point every single time they ran the ball. Although that might also include the muffed snap and fumble from Tua on that one, um, but in the 98th, 99th percentile passing the ball. Um, This is a big contrast. I think if they would have lost this game, a lot of people would have maybe looked over the fact it was like, oh, Herbert wins, Tua loses. Herbert had a good game, Tua had a good game. Well, the Chargers were crushing it on the ground. Um, 0.32 EPA per play, about 98th percentile, 234 yards rushing at about six yards per carry. Uh, just big, big, big numbers for the chargers on the ground, and that might have you know, like not been paid attention to as much as it should have been. Um, whereas the chargers, who are typically a bad running defense, they actually held the dolphins way down, and it was really just Tua and Tyreek and Jalen Waddle who were crushing it for this. Uh, Tua is probably your MVP of the week, highest EPA per play, and I'm adjusting out though, um, at least a decent amount of that muffed snap since we don't really know whose fault that was there. Uh, Not many negatives there. 11-A dot throwing the ball down the field. And then Tyreek Hill, maybe he's the real MVP of the week. 15 targets, 35% share, 11 catches, 215 yards, two touchdowns. They were averaging almost a full point in EPA every single time they targeted him. So targeting Tyreek Hill 15 times gives you 15 more points than expected. Massive. Massive, massive numbers. Now, Tyreek Hill was was my you know non-quarterback offensive MVP last year. I said he should have been Offensive Player of the Year. Um, he only trailed Jefferson because he wasn't out on the field as much. He's not a 100% route-running type of player like Jefferson was, uh, but he's so much better efficiency-wise, and it just really came through today. I mean, the dude is just incredibly awesome. Incredibly awesome. Um, I mean, Herbert was okay. He wasn't bad in this game. But I think what you have to look at for him, is to say, you know, maybe you send Joe Lombardi packing and it doesn't fix everything as far as throwing the ball down the field. Maybe you need to get some guys who can get open down the field. You know, Tua's Dot went from jumped by multiple yards once he had Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill to throw down the field. Uh, Josh Hermsmeyer, friend of the pod, he he commonly says that Dot belongs to the receiver, not the quarterback. I mean, it's a mix, of course. It's a simplification, just like, you know, running backs don't matter as a simplification, but it's mostly true. You got to be able to get open down the field. And when Mike Williams gets injured, you know, for the 15th time um, and they bring in Quentin Johnson and you know, he actually ran like a four or five something. He's not like a burner down the field. He's more of a yak guy, maybe in some ways. Uh, you got Keenan Allen out there. You got Austin Eckler, who you're throwing the ball a lot to. Um, yeah, just not a lot of downfield options, really. Um, uh, whereas Tua's just generating a ton of air yards EPA, uh, and not just you know, yak, it just a ton of of air yards and just not the case at all for Herbert. 7.2 a dot, not the worst a dot, but not much higher, if not roughly equivalent to what he was at last year when everyone was saying Joe Lombardi's the problem, Joe Lombardi's the problem, Joe Lombardi's the problem. Well, you gotta have a quarterback who wants to push the ball down the field and to even a greater degree you got to have receivers who can get open down the field to motivate the the quarterback to do that. It's not just you draw it up on a piece of paper and you say throw down long, throw long <laughs> and all of a sudden your offense is fixed. You know, sometimes these guys like Lombardi who have been coaching for a couple of decades know a little bit more than, you know, the the Twitter than your uh, Twitter uh, OCs out here who drop a couple of plays and say, boom, boom, boom. Hey, we just fixed the chargers. We, we throw it down the field all the time. Uh, okay. I'm being a little negative there, but you, you get my point. Okay. Patriots Eagles ugly game. I mean, probably the right result, although I don't know, man, the Eagles offense, this was a uh, 36.4% offensive success rate, which is the worst number for the Eagles have had. Um, since 2021. So it was a lower success rate for the Eagles in this game than any game that Jalen hurts started last season. Maybe they got a little bit bored with an early lead, but you know, it got kind of close there. If the Patriots were able to convert some third downs. Um, if uh Butte, is that his name Butte, uh the guy from kid from LSU, if he can get that second foot down and they can convert some third downs, uh, maybe they'd be okay. I mean, Mac Jones wasn't awful, but he had negative EPA. Jalen Hurts negative EPA um, 70 yard pick six for the Eagles which went off of a receiver's hands but was a bad throw by Mac Jones cost him about 10 expected points on that play so without that he would have had positive EPA on the game but you know you can't just take out the most impactful play every single week um it's a problem that Mac Jones has become this kind of like low upside quarterback who also had a bunch of mistakes last year. And then the mistakes continued at least to some degree so far this year, maybe this Patriots defense will be able to hold them in a bunch of games, keeping the Eagles down here, but it might've been more about the conditions there in Foxborough than it was about the fundamentals of this game. Eagles hoping to, you know, flush the results offensively here, move on to next week, but their schedule is going to be much, much harder this year. So they're going to have more tests when it comes to, uh, getting out on the field, their defense is going to be tested more, and their offense is going to be tested more this year. So far, the first test, I guess you could say they passed, but they passed maybe with a C minus, C minus type of passing grade, as opposed to passing with an A or B grade like they were consistently last season. Uh, Sunday night football. Do I need to talk about this? <laughs> 40 to nothing uh, on the positive side, only a, a 20 point uh, differential according to my adjusted scores uh second percentile offensive game for the giants daniel jones 51 plays losing an average of half a point in epa per play just yikes Uh, i mean too early to to you know close the book on him and the rest of the offense i was hoping with some playmakers down the field they could do something a bit more but they got to get him protected again once we get these numbers in here from pff we'll have some more ideas of exactly what the pressure was but it was ugly i didn't really watch the second half so i I can't comment that much on that um dak he was fine low cpoe but some big plays um boosted his epa per play up to 0.34 which is one of the highest numbers of the week but only 28 plays didn't have to do a whole lot in this game all right um it doesn't look like there's much. Oh, it was one Q&A here. And if there's any more Q&A, go ahead and fire that over to me. Otherwise, I'm going to hop off. Uh, I'll come back at you tomorrow if we get something interesting on Monday Night Football. Maybe going to continue to do around the same time, 10 a.m., if you're on uh, YouTube here. So, okay, anyway. So, as a, well, let me bring up. This is a big one here, so it's going to cover my head on YouTube. But we're going to do it anyway. Uh, one man's odyssey q a here it says as a bears fan i'm tilting hard not that i expected that much this game is me reconsidering the entire polls regime can you talk me down from the ledge i know first game etc um i don't know if i could talk you down from the ledge i mean here's the problem no matter what you do it's like the the analogy they say is rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Like, Fields was so bad passing the ball. I don't, I don't think people, like, quite consider how bad he was. And they didn't even attempt to pass the ball last year. I know he didn't have anyone around him. I know he didn't have receivers. I know it was no offensive line. All that sort of stuff. But when you're that, that, that bad, it doesn't really like matter. You don't have any synergy if you're adding pieces to to this offense. Now, he had some good throws. I think he caught Mooney in the end zone who was pretty wide open honestly, but if he can sit and fire and throw, he looks pretty good. The problem is you have to have a very 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 high level offense and scheme and offensive line, something that you maybe can't build over, you know, basically one offseason. I mean, the Bears were handicapped when polls came in. With a just god awful cap situation left by the previous regime that they couldn't even really rebuild until this offseason, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to, you know, like be perfect almost on a lot of these other picks in order to build around fields if he cannot pass in non ideal situations and circumstances. If he can't just, you know, look and throw to the guy who's open. You're going to have to be really, really good. And that's why I advocated they should look, you know, at a quarterback. And, you know, if it was Bryce Young, if it was Anthony Richardson, if it was somebody, you just got to get that right. Because if you get that right, it just makes building the rest of your team so much easier. So I don't really care how much draft capital you have around that. Um, Well, what else do you say? Uh, there's, There's more here. It says, why wait to build in the trenches? Why be so silent in free agency besides having so much money? Uh, I mean, I'm not really against him for, for that sort of stuff. I think you don't want to just, you know, blow everything up in free agency and overpay, which is generally what you're doing there. Um, But again, you know, they had a really bad time on third and fourth down. So we'll wait and see a bit. That's going to be the key is to say against a little bit lesser competition, maybe defensively uh, a few more breaks on third and fourth down. You get some big runs from fields where, Basically, if you don't have those big runs, the offense grinds to halt. So I don't know. I just think the big thing is, like, you don't get the quarterback right. It doesn't matter. So that's the one thing that I would point to is being at least through one week we could say, eh, maybe it's not going to matter how many of those draft picks and what you're going to build around this quarterback um, if you don't have the right guy. But then again, if they're bad enough this year and they can get up in there in the, stand, in the uh, loss rankings and get a quarterback, who knows what will end up happening. Um, here's an interesting man from BC Seahawks lost both tackles in the second half of the game. If they're long-term injuries, would that just sink the entire season? How many teams could survive losing both tackles? Well, you know, it's all about your replacement level talent there. I think it could be problematic, but I do think Gino is actually pretty good at getting the ball out early if he needs to. I mean, he did. He does take a lot of sacks, so maybe that's a little bit of an issue. They do like to throw the down, ball down the field, so maybe that's a bit of an issue. So, I don't know. It's one of those things where you could say, it all depends. It all depends. But it is like a clustering type of injury, and it is a weak link system when we talk about the offensive line. So, having two weak links, if it ends up being the case, uh, or even one weak link versus what you had before, is going to be a pretty impactful loss there. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Um, you know, soak it in, even though it wasn't a lot of goodness offensively for week one. Again, check out the sub stack. Uh, hit me up if you need a comp sub there. Uh, reply to the emails, probably to just sign up for free and then reply to the emails on me there. Otherwise, I'll be talking at everyone. I guess tomorrow morning, and then I'll come back at you on Friday morning to talk about the Thursday night game. Uh, all right, everybody, thanks and take it easy.